Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, I thought we had Cousin Shane locked up, good to go. Give the Tennessee homer at Big Orange Vols. Give him some hell online. Uh, he's out there walking, but true story. I mean, this man has been counting down the days till he's got this laser fast internet. He's talked about it on the show. He's paying top dollar. I'll, let's throw it up here. They even sent him an email. They were ready to install this bad boy this afternoon. And he confirmed it this morning, he said. And they shot him this email. Not going to go. The <laughs> more work needed before the Tennessee homer has his internet. Next week now is the new deadline. This the man's going to be devastated. Thoughts and prayers to Shane's household there. They thought they were going to jump on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Apple, all that jazz. He's been out of the loop for about a year and a half, so he's going to have to wait a couple more days uh, for not only the internet, but for jumping on the show because he's out of his old place. Now he's in his new one without any internet access. So that's the update on Cousin Shane. Hopefully we'll get him on as soon as possible. I may have to drive on down on good old East Tennessee just to get him on the show. But, hey, we got one more action-packed show here to close out the week-strong SEC spring meeting still going on in Destin, but things have quieted down quite a bit. No vote has taken place just yet. They may or may not have one on Friday. And if they do, we'll certainly let you guys know immediately what's going on. But when I last recorded, I thought we were good to go with the nine-game schedule. Apparently, there's been some roadblocks in the discussions. Conversations have steered away from the nine-game SEC slate with three permanent rivals and six rotating. And that is something Commissioner Greg Sankey was asked about time and time again. How's this going? How's the process going? Will there be a vote? Again, no vote as of Thursday evening. They're hoping maybe to have one on Friday. If not, you know, there's no real deadline. They keep saying 2025 until Texas and Oklahoma come into the league. They can't even implement this schedule until they get those two programs into the conference. But let's kick it over to Greg Sankey. A lot of questions on the scheduling. What's the holdup? You know, some programs, they want to stick at eight. What's the deal with that? And another big question that is being asked right now, you know, will teams like Kentucky, will they still get to play Louisville? Will South Carolina still be able to play Clemson? Will Florida still be able to play Florida State? And we've got tons of marquee non-conference games on the slate in the SEC for the years to come. How's that all going to play out? Let's kick it over to Greg Sankey. As you guys continue to look at the scheduling models, how committed are the schools that have rivalry games with the ACC to keeping those? Still as important as they were last year. Now, the year before, we did have disruption because of COVID, so I I should acknowledge that, but that's not been a point of variance in our conversations to date. How how much... is the one seven support based on not knowing what the CFP model will be? Well, there are, there are questions that we we welcome answers to. We may not have all those questions answered. 
Uh, I think that's certainly on some minds. We've had real, uh, a real, <laughs> an unchallenged level of success, some would say, at eight games. Um, as I've said previously, you know, kind of opening up our thoughts, how do we move teams through campuses collectively on a more frequent basis is on our mind as well. Eventually we have to make, make when you, decisions. When the scheduling models are, are being discussed, and particularly when the nine-game model is being broken down, have there been any concerns raised from coaches or ADs about the amount of non-conference Power Five games? I know there's there's talk about eliminating the requirement for one, but there's some schools that could potentially play as it stands now a full 12-game schedule to be against nothing but Power Five opponents. Yeah, I think in the in the CFP history, there's been a national champion. It may be that maybe the. PCS era for Florida State did that, as I recall. I remember the analysis. So Chuck, you have to look at that chart we did. Um, so sure, we talk about everything. So you can just kind of run with, well, how does this impact me here? How do I make non-conference scheduling decisions? Um, we've got some great games this year based on our current approach. And one of the things I said post-COVID, like people asked me after the football season, what did you learn? I learned that non-conference games are really important. Um, and I'm not wavering from that. And uh, there's a period on the end of that sentence. <laughs> Started wandering. Regardless I'm tired. I'm a release of information. What is the you just have to be patient. Oh, now we're skipping rows. <laughs> what is the, the hurdle that has to be cleared, do you feel like? Is there a sticking point in this conversation of the one verse seven versus the three verse six that? keeps coming up, or what is preventing a, a vote at, at this juncture? Just every time we've visited, uh, the desire for maybe a few more answers, a few more points of perspective, a little bit more information. Um, and I think what's, rather than impediment, I think it's really about informed decision-making, pretty thoughtful approach. Um, because, you know, you have to keep in mind, again, I'm going to look to Mark, 92, what was the first season with divisions in the league? 92. So we've been in divisions now for 30 years, and just walking away from divisions, you know, takes some time to get comfortable with that. And then how do you make certain decisions um, around formatting and playing and deciding ties, all that information is linked. And I guess, Seth, that speaks more to trying to resolve as many issues as possible. And again, I you know I've got a little blindsided on this one because I was hearing that the nine game, there was a lot of momentum in the SEC for the nine game slate. We put that on the last episode. Then uh, all of a sudden, the Athletic Seth Emerson puts out this article, and he specifically re- references Kentucky and their AD Mitch Barnhart, and notes Arkansas's uh, you know in lockstep here with Kentucky. Apparently, that those two programs and maybe a couple others not eager to go to the nine-game SEC schedule, at least not at this point in time. Got a little heated on Twitter late last night, just racking my brain on just, you know, to me it's selfishness. And a lot of people, it's very easy to poke fun of Kentucky for their non-conference slate. I don't go there. In fact, if you've been a loyal listener to this show, you know I've, I've referenced it before. I think it's smart. You know, you rack up on wins. You get your conference going into the SEC play. They've they've had historic success under Mark Stoops in in the recent seasons, and 
I don't give a damn if that comes on the back of, uh, you know, picking up an easy win here or there because when Mark Stoops got there, they weren't easy. I mean, he was struggling to get these wins. He was struggling to turn around the series against Mississippi State. Couldn't beat Tennessee. Hell, they couldn't beat Florida. That was a question every year. It's been 30-some-odd years since you beat Florida. He's done it twice now. He's beaten Tennessee twice. They own South Carolina for the most part. The only team they can't get over at this point in time is Georgia, and they're coming, the Bulldogs, to Lexington this year. That could be a hell of a game. Could be the year Kentucky finally snaps that Georgia streak. But I say it's selfish because you just got to look at the grand scheme of the SEC, and if Kentucky is apparently dead set on, well, if we if we play nine-game conference schedule, we can't play Louisville, and that's obviously our – in-state rival, ACC rival, even though Florida has come out here and said, you know, they plan to play Florida State every year. It doesn't matter how many conference games we've got. Uh, I don't know if South Carolina, where they stand on that, but I'm sure as hell they're not going to give up playing Clemson annually. So, you know, they may be against the schedule. I'm not sure. But, you know, you can't put this on playing Louisville as the linchpin for, you know, what we would be losing? We'd be losing Texas, Texas A&M. We'd be losing Georgia versus Auburn. We'd be losing Alabama versus Tennessee on an annual basis and many others. Uh, we'd, we'd be losing Florida, LSU. Uh, I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. The games we'd be losing so that Kentucky can keep their Louisville game, which they could do anyway if it's in a nine-game conference schedule. But my biggest gripe with this, and I – I'm seeing it not just from Kentucky fans. I'm not trying to pile on Kentucky, but I've seen it from some South Carolina people. I've seen it from Arkansas. Hell, our schedule's tough enough as it is. I just don't think people are grasping how dominant the SEC is going to be in the years to come, especially when Texas and Oklahoma join the league. And I've made this point before, but you know, as it stands right now, even teams that are still rising in the SEC. Let's perfect example, Missouri, South Carolina, Mississippi State. You know, those teams that uh, those fan bases got a lot of expectations and hype for what their programs can do. But I think it's fair to say outside of those fan bases, people, you know, look down on you historically, and that's all good and well. But what are we seeing? We're seeing incredible facilities being built at these schools. We're seeing coaching hires that appear to be the right hires elevating that program. We're seeing recruiting success unparalleled. We're seeing transfer portal success for these teams that's helping them climb up the SEC standings potentially this season. But the biggest thing of all, when we have a 16-team super conference, I've said this before and I'll keep damn saying it, that's going to be the death of – South Carolina losing a recruiting battle to Georgia Tech. That's going to be the death of Missouri losing a recruiting battle to Iowa. That's going to be the death of Mississippi State losing a recruiting battle to TCU because everybody is going to want to play in the SEC. All the best players are going to come. Hell, they already come to the SEC, but it's going to be tenfold because the SEC is going to be a super conference, and the rest of these, it's going to be like junior leagues. Now, Ohio State and, you know, Penn State, teams like that, they'll still do well, I would imagine. Michigan, you know, 
put in five, ten programs around the country, but that's it. So, again, we go back to those teams like I'm saying, maybe South Carolina, Mississippi State, Missouri. If you look at them right now, maybe you could argue they're in the top 30 to 40 range in the country. Here in five years, these are going to be top 20, top 25 programs because, again, the 16 in the SEC are going to be dominant and they're going to be just a step above everybody else. Hell, I think even Vanderbilt, you know, as long as they continue to commit, I'm not saying Vanderbilt's going to turn into a, you know, an SEC power, but I think they're going to dominate recruiting over any of these programs like Wake Forest, Duke, Northwestern. Who in the hell is going to want to go to those schools when you could come into the SEC and play with the best of the best? I just don't see it happening. So we've got to move on from this. Well, we we got to secure a bowl win. And I had someone, Adam Luckett, I love his work over there at Kentucky Sports Radio. He was saying, well, hell, if we go to nine games, we're going to have teams being one in eight in the SEC. You can't be afraid of competition. If you want to play in the SEC, you have to not be afraid of competition. Otherwise, the Sun Belt will open you with open arms. The ACC will welcome you with open arms if you're afraid of playing nine games in the SEC. That's where this thing's going. And the only detriment that I can see with a nine-game schedule, the schedules will get incredibly more difficult. I get it. And people are worried about their rankings in the college football playoff. But, hell, the SEC's dominated that thing. And that's not going anywhere, particularly with expansion is going to come. I know it's been delayed, but, you know, it's all trending towards that direction. I don't care how many. They're not going to pick 8-0 out of the ACC Clemson over an 8-1 Alabama, an 8-1 Georgia, 8-1 Florida, Tennessee. Just because they have one loss, they're not going to put – the king of the cupcakes in over any SEC program in the college football. You mark my words now, when Clemson's got one win over a winning team and the SEC Kings got seven wins over an, a winning program, it just ain't going to happen. So that fear to me is unfounded as well because we all know the SEC gets a ton of respect in the college football playoff poll. And again, I get a little heated talking about this, but we got to do what's best for the conference, not necessarily what's best for one school or the other, and losing traditional rivalries, losing these games that we love so much. And, you know, the added benefit, I haven't even mentioned this, but how many people out there, are, they always debate whether to get season tickets or not. And you look at the schedule, and there may only be two or three home games that interest you. That's going away too. And the more product we can put on the field, that's better Conference versus conference, SEC versus SEC. It's going to be good for the fans, the season ticket holders, people that watch the games. It's going to be good all around. The money's going to be insane. And, hell, they need it with uh, NIL and all this coming aboard. Coaching salaries skyrocketing. Sam Pittman, we'll get to that in a minute. He got him a new contract. But there's, there's virtually no downside to this. And, again, if you're afraid of competing in the SEC, get the hell out because – the SEC will be fine without you. And get on board because this is where we're going. You're just delaying the inevitable. And that's my piece. That's what I got to say on it. But last little nugget here from the spring meetings. Uh, friend of the show, Brent Zerman. Let's give this man credit of the Houston Chronicle. Broke the news. Texas A&M set to play Texas at home 
in Kyle Field. We, of course, we don't know the date of that game, but uh, according to Ross Bjork, the athletic director down there in College Station, Texas A&M will be hosting the Longhorns when they resume that series. So I assume he's been given some kind of assurances by the SEC. This probably uh, you know, has something to do with the fact that uh, Texas A&M initially a little bothered by Texas coming in to the SEC, throwing the Aggies a bone. We ain't doing no damn neutral field or anything like that. The last game was played in Austin. The next one's got to be played in College Station, and that's what's going to be taking place when Texas and Texas A&M meet as SEC opponents. Now kick it on down to Fayetteville. Sam Pittman finally got him his contract extension. It's a five-year deal. It's going to be five-year contract, $5 million annually base pay for Sam Pittman. And now here's the kicker. They've essentially given him the deal that Kentucky has given Mark Stoops. So, hey, credit. <laughs> this is why Sam Pittman has uh, changed agents to the super agent Jimmy Sexton. He got him uh, right up there with the best contract in all of college football Mark Stoops, now Sam Pittman's got the same deal. Win seven games for the Arkansas Razorbacks. You get an automatic one-year extension added to your contract. So, you know, this is going to be much more than a five-year deal when all said and done. All kinds of bonuses and everything in this contract. And how could you not think that Sam Pittman is worth this? I've said it before and I'll say it again I think since Sam Pittman's been in the SEC you could argue no one over that two-year span has done a better coaching job than Sam Pittman and his coaching staff there in Fayetteville so let's give this man credit last year best winning percentage since 2011 Arkansas with a plus six win dif differential from the previous season that was the best in nearly 20 years First bowl win since 2015, beat Texas A&M, LSU, Missouri in the same year for the first time in program history. And he did that with the toughest schedule in college football, which is just what we've come to expect from the Arkansas Razorbacks. They're going to play a tough schedule, and they're going to succeed here as long as they got Sam Pittman running the ship here and those players buying into the message there in Fayetteville. Last little bit here, let's kick it on down to Columbia, Missouri, World Eli Drinkwitz back from the spring meetings, and he held him a press conference on Thursday. Pretty uh, lengthy, 130 minutes here. I picked out the highlights from Drinkwitz's latest media availability. And let's start with his thoughts on the eight-game or nine-game SEC schedule. Some people would think, hmm, Missouri, you know, they may not want to add an extra SEC game. That's tough. But uh, Drinkwitz, you know, while he didn't specifically say which side he said he's sticking with he wants more of these traditional rivalries played which of course means nine game sec schedule so we can keep some of these marquee games on the schedule let's kick it over to drink with i think both 
I think I'm a representative for Mizzou, and I think uh, I, I think you can look at it from a, a lot of different perspectives. Um, I have my opinions on which one I believe is best. Um, I, you know, I do believe that one of the things that makes the Southeastern Conference so unique and special is the tradition and pageantry of the games and the longstanding rivalries that we have um, outside of even particularly Mizzou. And I, I understand maybe a little bit more now being at Mizzou and not having playing a consistent rivalry with a long-term team, whether that was be Kansas or Illinois and the disruption that causes to the fan base and now trying to recreate or not recreate, restart a rivalry with Arkansas. Um, and how that's a little bit more difficult and challenging. And so I do think um, for our league, when we are, if we do away with divisions and go into a rotating conference schedule, that the consistency of rivalries are going to be important um, to the passion of the Southeastern Conference. So uh, that would be my stance on I think it's important to do that. You can read between the lines on which one that means I would support. But. Uh, I, I do think that um, we have to be careful of getting away from playing consistent games in our conference that mean so much to our fan bases. So, again, reading between the lines, clear as day to me. I mean, he wants to keep playing Arkansas. The only chance that probably has of happening is if they, if we go to the nine-game SEC schedule. Otherwise, we're going to be losing annual games like that. Razorback fans don't want to hear that, but that's what he's talking about. He's talking about Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Auburn. That's what makes the SEC great. You know, that's that's his opinion, though. And again, the coaches don't get to vote on this. The school presidents do, but I hope he's uh, relaying that message to the president down there in Missouri. Now, next, uh, again, he was asked. <laughs> this was great, and I, I really hope you're watching on video because otherwise you're going to miss Drinkowitz's face when he references there was an article put out by someone, I don't want to call him out, but someone after they landed Jack Abram from Mississippi State, who's going to start as a walk-on at Missouri, someone said Jack Abram is the presumed starter there at Missouri. Drinkowitz uh, took big issue with that one, and uh, he talked at length about Sam Horn, who many believe is the future of uh, the Missouri football program, and and of course there's a bait, you know he's he's Sam Horn is apparently a, a touted baseball prospect, so that's something they have to weigh right now. The upcoming major league draft, see where Sam Horn's going to get drafted, and ensure that uh, he will be with the team. He, he's on campus already, is my understanding, but they needed to add Jack Abram to the roster as insurance because you you sure as hell can't go with an SEC schedule with just two quarterbacks. They currently have four, which is obviously much more ideal with, uh, you know, you just never know what can happen with injuries and all that in an SEC schedule. So let's kick it over once again to Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah, I think, um, and I, I've been very consistent on saying this, I thought Brady Cook and Tyler Macon both had good springs uh, and us looking at a potential transfer quarterback was really no slight on them. It was more a, uh, there's one thing that neither one of those guys can change, and it's the amount of experience they have um, playing college football. And so, you know, in our first six games, we have three on the road at Kansas State, at Auburn, at Florida. And the only, uh, uh, the best teacher is experience. And so in those situations, um, having an experienced quarterback 
was something that you know was important um, and something that we were looking for. Um, you know, so Jack provides us that experience and accountability uh, and understanding of what those environments are. Um, but by no means is that, you know, I saw a headline that uh, he was the presumed starter. I think that was a presumed uh, headline. That, that, that is not the case at all. Uh, it's an open competition. I think with the, um, you know, we're very excited about Sam, and I think I've been very clear since uh, the start of spring that I would not name a starter until Sam Horn had the opportunity to compete for that position. And that is ongoing and starting right now as he's been on campus and we've been able to utilize OTAs, uh, individual skill instruction we are calling OTAs, uh, and, and allow him to get up to speed. And so we're doing that right now. Um, but I, I'm not naive to the fact that Sam is a, a has going to have a difficult choice in front of him in mid-July as he is an unbelievable baseball player with the ability to get drafted and is going to have to make a decision on which sport he wants to pursue in the future. Um, I've met with his family and, and him, and we believe that uh, he's got a great, unbelievable future here as both a football player and, and a baseball player uh, within the Mizzou football and, and baseball families, and that's what we're uh, pushing him on. But I also am not naive to the fact that he could choose to proceed, uh, per, pursue a a career in the major leagues, and I could not stay status quo and only have two uh, quarterbacks on the roster with experience, and so needed to have somebody else. And so to go back to your question about Jack Abraham full circle, that was something that um, we had to have. And so being able to explain that to both Brady, um, Tyler, our football team, and the Horns, um, the team, the team, the team comes first, and I have to put ourselves in a position for our team to be successful. Uh, with contingency plans. And so that's what we were able to do. And, and Jack, again, has experience, has been in multiple systems, and will have the ability to compete for the starting job. Um, but those four guys will be the guys, and, and we'll see which one comes out uh, as, as the starter sooner rather than later. So I love that transparency there from uh, Old Drink. And then last thing here, I just thought this was great. I didn't put any credit to this. I didn't even want to bring it up, to be honest with you. But there was some message board rumors and all this that Drinkowitz is, you know, kind of frustrated with Missouri and looking to eye to leave the program. This is the same guy that you see him at all these Missouri events, and he's hooting and hollering, and he just had the best recruiting class in program history. They're going to have a very talented team this fall, and while things didn't go as planned last season, hopes are high that they've turned the corner here in Columbia. And I, I just thought Missouri fans would truly appreciate Drinkowitz's message here to close out his presser on doing everything he can to make Missouri a championship program. And just all the things have changed significantly since when he got this job and how he's better suited to lead the Missouri program after being at that in that seat for two years. Yeah, I would say this. I'm more prepared today to be the head coach of the University of Missouri than I was two years ago when I took this job. And that was because of the experiences that I've been through in the past two years. Um, the job's changed quite a bit. The dynamics of the job has changed quite a bit. But that's changed for everybody in the seats that they're in. Um, <clears throat> I think whenever you hire somebody to do a job, uh, you're hiring them based off the competency to adjust to whatever 
happens moving forward. And I do think that that um, I have a clear vision for what I believe the University of Missouri can be, and I'm pursuing that every single day as hard as I possibly can. Um, I don't know that anybody could argue that uh, that I'm not working as hard as I possibly can to, to do everything I can to help us win a championship, whether that's visiting cities or recruiting or um, being intentional about uh, strategic um, placement of NIL opportunities or being in communities. I mean, we've got uh, a kids camp in St. Louis this weekend. We've got a kids camp, free kids camp in St. Louis this weekend. We got a free kids camp in Kansas City next weekend. We have a free two-day kids camp in Columbia that's got already got over 500 kids signed up. Um, we're trying to be great. We, we got a, a, a camp today on our campus that's got over 150 kids. We're going to be in Lindenwood tomorrow. Um, we're trying to be great ambassadors to this state, and I think that's where it starts. And that's something I'm, I've been passionate about since I was a high school coach. Um, the job is, like I said, the job has changed. Um, but that was that's what makes it fun, you know. That's what that's what as a competitor you kind of like the challenges. Um, I think every you know I can't speak to what college football was back in the '90s or '80s and the in the crazy changes that that have occurred. But man, I can't imagine there's been any more influx of the way the college football has happened in the past two years. So all right, so hey, that's gonna do it for this episode of the show. Wanted to give you guys one more to finish the week strong. Uh, now we will do like an emergency style podcast if the SEC does vote here on Friday and comes to a decision on the eight or nine game SEC schedule, which may or may not happen. Again, Greg Sankey, you know, keeping it vague. We'll see was uh, what he kept saying here in his latest media availability. So we'll see if we need to break that out. We still have to do our SEC West fan predictions. Those some good stuff here. Uh, I was really waiting. I'm waiting for Shane to jump on the line. I'm hoping I can get him back because I really want to get his thoughts and reactions to some of these. Some of these are very surprising. Uh, I know I, the SEC East fan base they appreciated these. So we got the SEC West in our back pocket. We'll get to those on the next episode of the show. But that's all we got on this one. I hope everybody has a great weekend. And as always, if you made it this far, you enjoy the content all week long. If you wouldn't mind giving us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Spotify, you can give us a review there as well. And if you do those things, Reach out to us at thatsecpodcast at gmail.com, and we're happy to send you a beer koozie free of charge just for supporting the show. But that's going to do it. We'll catch you on the next one.